I think something that's really served us intense focus. So that's saying no to things that are fantastic ideas, really having clarity as to like, what do we actually take on and knowing everything you say yes to means you have to say no to like one other or five other great ideas in order to really execute that successfully. Hey, what's up? Benjamin Gottlieb here, and this is Shopify Masters, your companion for starting and building a business. Any successful brand starts with a good idea, but if you want to stick around, and I'm talking about for a long time, you've got to embrace change. Babylist is a fantastic example of this. You've probably heard of the company before. At its core, it's a registry website for expecting parents. You set up a wish list for your new child, and friends and family buy stuff. But founder and CEO Natalie Gordon has not stopped there. In the 12 years since she started her company, it's evolved from registry to content hub and now retailer. Natalie is here today on Shopify Masters, and we are so thrilled to have her. Natalie, thanks for doing this. Hi, Benjamin. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure, and thank you for being here. You know, we're going to get into your brand's incredible growth throughout this interview, but if I may, let's start with the idea of Babylist, which came about when you were expecting your first child, and you wanted to create a registry. It was then that you discovered it wasn't as easy as it should have been. Why not? You just went through this experience yourself, right? That's true. I do. I just We have a three-month-old. That's right. Okay, perfect. So I was pregnant. I was going through this process myself, where it was like, I need to choose all these products. I don't know what any of them are. I need to create a baby registry. And like nothing out there is actually what I would feel like good about sending out. Really aesthetically, everything was pink and blue with like giraffes. And it's like, I'm a modern woman. I was going to say like, I'm a boss. Like there were these things that were extremely meaningful to our family. And this is true for every family. And the two things that really come to mind, we really wanted to use a cloth diaper service and money was tight. And so anyone who could be like, I'll get you a month of diapers, that was a really meaningful gift for us maybe as meaningful as like a baby carrier or something you would actually get at Babies R Us. Another thing that was incredibly important to our family, our uh, dog, our German Shepherd, she needed to be walked every morning. And it was like, if someone could do this thing that doesn't cost money, but like is actually truly meaningful, like that would be an amazing gift. So how do we ask for these things that would be so particularly important to our family? With like a registry where you can ask for things from any store, not just one store, really traditionally uh, registries exist like where it's a per store registry. So it's like just have one because you're not going to find one registry. You're not going to find everything in one store and make it look good. Make it look like you're proud and you trust it to send it to friends and family and let you ask for those really specific non-traditional items on your registry where everyone has a couple. So that was that was the original insight my background's in software engineering, and so I could picture how it all worked, and it also seemed like a really fun project to tackle. Well, how convenient that your background is in software engineering because you were able to create this incredible business, which now has grown over the last 12 years, as you mentioned. But just getting back to this idea of really finding a hole in the market. You had a real life experience, something happening to you. By the way, I can't believe you were two weeks from your due date, and you're building and launching this thing. But- you found this hole in the market and it exploded into this now very successful business. For folks who are listening who are like, yeah, I want that. 
How do you put a fine point on the hole in the market and that, again, helps you create this thing? Oh, that's a great question. I had actually had this experience with so many lessons learned prior to starting Baby List where like we potentially found a hole in the market, but it was in a place where we couldn't really monetize it. So I had worked for a year on like a language learning community website where actually we were able to like build it and have people come and use it, but we're never able to really make it a business. This is really a, a product primarily used by women, and historically women are less likely to be able to build software, to have gone to school to build software. So I kind of had that combination where I could build a product myself. I didn't have to go out and fundraise on an idea, and I knew exactly what I wanted. And I think that actually did make it much more likely to get it right it could become a good business and a scalable business, and it could become a profitable business. Well, it definitely has. And as you've grown, however, you've for the most part stayed in this lane, right? I think the actual term is you're a vertical marketplace. You're not trying to grab every single thing. It's just baby stuff, really. Um, How did you come to that decision of, you know what, we're gonna own this area and that's it? It was like a big decision. It was a painful decision. The actual decision was, okay, are we a registry? And so if we're going to become more than a baby registry, now we should go into wedding registries and we should really learn about the wedding space. And it's really primarily about this tool and technology and that's how we should expand it. Or or the whole journey from marriage or from starting a family to the actual child, right? Absolutely. Or it was... uh, is this does this company exist for our audience for like the people who are having a baby having their first baby and like that's actually where we should be expanding you can think of the core competencies of actually saying we would expand and we're a registry and we're going to become registries or wish lists for other life events that's actually very squarely in our core competencies and to say we actually want to serve this family in more and more ways and deeper and deeper ways meant we actually had to create some core competencies. But like actually with that, I think a lot of, I'd like to say strategy, but it was a little bit more like soul searching. Like who do we want to be? We really actually said, actually, we think we are a life stage company. And the most important thing about this business is the trust of our users and our ability to reach this audience. I hope our audience right now is listening to this because you have this software background. This at its core is a registry company, but you're talking about all these human elements that have gone into your decision-making, right? These tough emotional decisions and also your audience, which I think is so interesting. Let's talk about your editorial strategy for a moment. I mean, many of our listeners are entrepreneurs and they would be envious of the community you've created. How did you determine or how do you determine what products to write about and and where to lean in? Because there's so much stuff out there. Let's go back in time to when we were making this decision. So we made the decision. We are really, we're going to invest, like who we are, we exist for people who are having a baby. That's like what we're going to do and we're going to find more ways to serve them. After we made that decision, it is when we really started some of our other offerings And at that time, it was really dipping our toe into content and media. And our very first version, we brought on an intern and tasked her with creating our first, like, best of guides. So 
the feedback we were getting from our users was, oh, I can add items from anywhere on the internet when I use Babylist, but like you're not helping me. And this is actually really, really hard. And we knew there was a real SEO opportunity with having great content. And so she created like best strollers, best car seats, best play yards, all of these product guides that we really felt like we could show our users, but long-term would be a real part of our growth strategy. So in this very first version, she was tasked in survey our users, get their feedback on like how much they love their strollers, really make sure we're talking about the strollers that most people have or that are quite accessible, really try to write very trusted long-form content about this. I think this might have been before Wirecutter or might have been in parallel. And our competition was like 27 slide slideshows on best strollers. Okay, and we're going back in the days of the internet. By the way, full disclosure, I would make some of those slideshows when I was working in journalism, for sure. The photo <laughs> slideshow, it's like, you know, this is the best that. Oh, yeah, so you you saw that opportunity there. I guess what I'm getting into is what goes into making these guides, right? If I'm listening now and if I wanted to make something like this, I mean, what goes into making it exactly? We did not copy anyone else's content strategy. We said, what is true about our audience. Our audience is actually turning over every day. We're talking to people who are making these product decisions for the very first time. So our very first iteration of this was not creating content you would be reading for one year, two year, three years. It was really very evergreen content. So you can deeply invest in it and learn about it. You're going to make all these product decisions. We're going to really think about you. You don't know what these products are. So you don't even know what a diaper pail is when I'm telling you our top recommendations for diaper pails. By the way, I still don't know what a lot of this stuff is, but keep going. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember how confusing it was. It was like, what's the difference between a diaper bag and a bag? Like, what's special here? Um, and so it, it started with a deep understanding of our audience and their journey. That is different for every audience. But we had a very good understanding of that. We launched, I think, after our guides, week-by-week pregnancy emails. And in the competitive landscape, everyone was comparing your baby to a size of fruit. And we actually compared them to, like, retro products from the 90s. So it was like, your baby's the size of Tickle Me Elmo, or your baby's (laughs) the size of a Nintendo controller. And... People love them. Like, it it just has personality and fun and celebration. It was a real brand element and still is. So that's, like, one answer. I think that was really necessary to not just produce content, but to produce content that people actually really respond to and engage with and like and really tie to our brand. But, like, how you actually do it, we really treat it like media. And we don't treat it like content marketing. We staff it um, and hire people who care about this audience and feel like they are actually really building like a real content-driven brand. They're not writing primarily content that's all about baby list and getting you to create a baby list registry. They're actually starting with like, what does this audience really care about and how do we build a great media brand around it? And it sounds like really knowing who your audience is. My goodness, you're at such an advantage because when you were starting this company, you were the target audience, but really understanding who they are. You know, what really resonated with me is this idea that 
This is the first time probably most of your users are interacting with these products. So approaching it that way, it's really interesting. I have to ask you, because we're talking about your journey and part of that journey was switching to Shopify. Why did you make the switch and how were you able to scale with Shopify over these last few years in particular? Babylist has always worked across retailers. It still does. We have now decade-long relationships with our partner retailers. But we really saw um, a need and opportunity to be a retailer ourselves. And so what that looks like now is we work with hundreds of vendors. We hold inventory. We do some dropship. We sell things direct. We actually are now producing some of our own products across a couple different brands. So it really has been something that has like grown with us and been a great offering for our users. And just really quickly, when you say retailer, it's not necessarily in the traditional sense, like I'm walking into Sears, but you're saying in the in the modern sense, right? In the e-commerce sense. Yeah, we are an online retailer. And our very first version of doing this, how we launched is we built everything custom. I'm a software engineer. I understood what we were doing. We were we were kind of building this bespoke experience and really felt like that was necessary. And I think it was a couple years in, one or two years in, and our current VP of engineering, who's not at that time our engineering leader, he really raised his hand and said, we need to move to to Shopify, it's going to slow us down to do this like transition to it, but overall it'll actually speed us up. And my question was, what features are we going to get? Like, how is this actually going to move our business forward? And his answer was like A, B, and C, but that's not why we're doing this. We're actually doing this investment because they have a thousand engineers who are working on making checkout better, making cart better, like making all of this stuff work. And we have a small engineering team and we want to focus on other things. And so we did do that. We poured it over to Shopify. We're scaling, we're growing. And then the conversation is, well, when are we going to outgrow Shopify? And I do think Shopify has grown with us. Like I think if you went back in time to when we made that transition, perhaps Shopify couldn't have met our needs, but like we've grown together in a way where when we made that transition, that wasn't really known. So I'm, I'm very happy with that decision. And so are we. Uh, so you've been able to grow with us, take away some of the engineering responsibilities that you know well, but you could focus on some other things. And in some ways, Babylist was created to help people aggregate all the products they wanted from different retailers. Natalie, that might be kind of counterintuitive to business owners who think they really want to focus on selling their own inventory, right? I mean, why do you think it's important, in other words, to write and let people add products from outside of your ecosystem on your platform? It's very specific to our audience and our registry offering. People love to be able to find the best price for products. It means if one retailer goes out of stock on a product, we're going to find that item for you at a different retailer. People absolutely love that. It lets us have really strong partnerships with retailers like Etsy, where this is their chance to really have this offering on a baby registry. So for us, it just started with putting the user and their needs maybe ahead of like very short-term ways to think about monetization. So it's a marketing play, in other words. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I would almost say it's a product marketing play because it's so deep into how Babylist works. 
Well, that's really fascinating. So focusing away from the short-term goals of making that conversion and trying to get someone to be really connected with your brand, perhaps not just with their own journey, but for their friends, for other parents, right? Yep, absolutely. I think we have another example going back to content where we still do this, but we actually were doing it at the very beginning as kind of a test and learn strategy. And it's in our emails, we link out to other media sites all the time. We say, oh, this is a great story on this blog or on the New York Times. This is what we're actually going to link to in our newsletter or our emails. But that still is our strategy because we don't need to write all this content. It's not about baby list. It's actually putting our user at the center of this. Putting the user at the center and building the brand, each individual piece of communication as its own reliable resource that's trusted, that your audience has confidence in, seems to be really working out for Natalie Gordon, the founder and CEO of Babylist, who is my guest today. And if I may, I'd like to take a moment and thank you yes, you, for listening to our podcast. You know, each week we bring you stories from Shopify founders and industry experts about everything entrepreneurship. And if you're digging what we've got going on, do us a favor and make sure to give Shopify Masters a follow or subscribe to the show wherever you're listening right now. You can also let us know your thoughts by leaving a review. Thank you so much for listening. Natalie, I think the experience of becoming a parent has changed a lot in the past decade. Do you think there are fundamental differences in the way people are parenting now versus when you started Babylist? I think that's such an interesting question in our space, going back to every day there are people and they're having their first baby and that's who we really need to serve. I think fundamentally becoming a parent is the same. You want to be a great mom. You want to be a great dad. You care about the health of your growing family. Um, you have the same needs, and it's so important. It's so emotional. Um, it's such a point of connection. But like we said, this business was able to get off the ground partially because of like my deep understanding and empathy for this user. And now I have a 12-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> I'm not in this stage anymore. And things have definitely changed. I think it's really important for us to not become a stale legacy brand ripe for disruption. In 12 and a half years, we actually have had to reinvent our brand, maybe not reinvent our core offering, but really reinvent the voice and how we talk to our users. Really tactically, we started deeply investing in TikTok a year and a half ago. We said, where are our users? Actually, they've really shifted platforms or really in addition to platforms they'd previously been on. Now they are on TikTok. We have now over a million followers on TikTok. And you're the biggest baby brand on TikTok at this point. I believe so, yeah. And that's like, I think just a, an example of being the brand. Actually, in making that decision, we said, if someone were going to disrupt us, what's the thing like they would do exceptionally well? And we were like, oh, they would maybe could crush us on TikTok. And it was like, great, that's where we're going to really create a brand offering. And Natalie, how does that translate to what products people are buying? Products are always changing. 12 and a half years ago, I actually loved my baby carrier and my stroller. There's been so much innovation. The category itself is fascinating. People are spending more and more per baby every year because of new product innovation. And we're able to really bring those products to our audience and really explain the benefits. So things like baby monitors, there's a 
I think you and I talked about the Snoo. Maybe you guys aren't a Snoo user, but they're just like these high-end products that really add value, particularly on sleep or feeding that really have expanded the entire baby category. I'm glad you brought up the Snoo because, and again, this, that's not the focus of this interview, but it is does bring me to an interesting question because we got a Snoo because another couple friends of ours had one and they let us borrow it. And, and I'm so curious, there's a lot of camaraderie, I think, especially if you have a close-knit community in the child-rearing years where people are sharing stuff with each other. And that's a reality of being a parent, sharing clothes, sharing devices. What is your strategy along those lines with that kind of stuff? Because I would imagine that's antithetical to your business. Well, the other thing about the category is you are going to outgrow products. So the products you love the most that are for your baby, once your baby outgrows, could still be in really perfect condition or great condition. The registry, because it's not tied to this one retail experience, has always worked that way. You can write in for any product you're asking for, or we'd love this gently used. So it, it really does work um, already for these hand-me-downs. We're excited about the space. We partner with a company called Goodbye Gear, and they're a resale marketplace for baby products. And you're naming this real community element. I think it's something that this next generation of parents really values. Sustainability, some minimalism. And it's on our mind, and we are, I think, already actually doing a lot there. Well, tell that idea of minimalism to my family members, because I don't know if we're getting stuffed animals all the time over here. But back to the idea, you know, we mentioned earlier TikTok. I just want to get back to this really quickly. If I may, how were you able to grow on this platform that before, as you said in your own words, you were just getting beat there? You weren't winning on that space, and now you guys are crushing it. Most people listen to our program. They want to do well in the next big spot. TikTok is, of course, a very popular marketing platform right now. So how did you grow there? It's a great question. I think I can take no credit for this. I think I have a lot of ideas, but I should not be the person who's in charge of our TikTok strategy. So I think part of my leadership in recent years, as I've just been able to scale the company with just the most talented folks, is to actually hire the right leader and then hire like the right person who's really running it on the day-to-day, who both have a strong vision, but also ability to like test and learn. You can't just have a strong vision because it's not necessarily going to be right, but we don't approach creating content and really creativity as like, I'm just going to throw spaghetti against a wall. It's like actually like have a vision for what this can and should look like. Something I'm really excited about We had a couple of pop-ups last year, and we'd never actually had a physical world version of Babylist. It had always been digital. We had a couple of pop-ups that really gave me and the team confidence that now is the time to really say we can have permanent physical retail, and that's we're opening up a, a flagship showroom this summer. In Beverly Hills, right? Yep, in Beverly Hills. And you just think of that space. If you were going to reinvent all this, you would actually create like the TikTok creation space, and that's going to be built into it. So when you're going there and you're choosing all your products, you can be creating content. Our team can be creating content. You're going to be able to test strollers on a stroller track. It's going to be very, very experiential. And so we're also, we're thinking about opportunities like that in terms of how can this 
really maybe take our content production to the next level. A few moments ago, you mentioned that you want to stay away from becoming the quote unquote legacy brand, which when I hear that, my initial thought is, well, well, why? I mean, isn't that the ultimate goal to become the legacy brand, to become the top dog, so to speak, in your industry? What is it about your vision that has you kind of staying away from this idea of becoming a legacy brand or identity and really leaning into innovation instead? Oh, I love that. I'm like, well, because (laughs) we're quite ambitious. We think that there's space for there to be a very large company in the space. And we think and are really trying to become that ourselves. I think for me, legacy is really defined here as like losing touch with who your audience is. And I think it's actually very easy to do. And so When this company was just me or just me and two or three other people, I would look at competitors and I would see things they do. So uh, this is my pet peeve, banner ads on registries. I'd be like, I understand like the KPI you are trying to hit with this. I understand that you probably did a test and you saw that like adding these maybe doesn't hurt metrics in the short term. By the way, KPI, key performance indicator. Go ahead. Exactly. Like how you're judging your success. There's someone at that company and they were trying to say, we need to make more money per page view. Most of our page views are coming from registries. So we should put banner ads on registry. But like, it's just the antithesis of how your users are thinking about it. They are going to share this out to 50 friends and family. How do they feel about sharing out something that actually has banner ads on it? So just felt like very disconnected from who our core audience was. And at that time, I was doing all of our customer support. Like I was talking to our users every day. Which is very common if you're just starting a business. You're the person on the phone or doing the emails. Oh yeah. It was the best foundational learning and I think still being CEO of this company. But as you scale, you're like, how do we operationalize our values? How do you make sure everyone at the company can live our values? And our number one value is we love our our users. And it actually looks like everyone at this company really understanding the experience our users are going through and how they think about us, how they think about like the overall market, like not just relying on some hired consultant to do a focus group. To me, that's what like legacy and innovation means. Like legacy is defined as like losing touch with the experience your users are going through as an organization. We're not into innovation for innovation's sake, but we're always saying, yeah, what should we look like in one year, five years from now? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think perhaps for many small business owners, it's tough to look at that, right? You're just kind of treading water in the moment, right? Trying to get things going. You're saying it's really difficult. I think it's like, it's been 12 and a half years. It has been so flipping difficult. (laughs) And there was no playbook. I learned every lesson and every lesson the hard way. I listen to podcasts like this all the time. I heard a founder say, oh, like I would look at competitors LinkedIn to see what jobs that they had. Like I was like, yes, like I just did not know what I was doing. Um, And so I just have like the greatest empathy for that stage. And I was there and hopefully everyone will be on this podcast in 12 and a half years. How do you know when it's time to make a big shift? Like you said, from moving into e-commerce, for example, 
Later this year, you're moving into a physical retail space. Like, when do you know when the right decision for that is? I think something that's really served us intense focus so that saying no to things that are fantastic ideas. So we've said no to things that are clearly things we need to do at some time and we want to do at some time. International fits in that bucket. I think it's really having clarity as to like what do we actually take on and knowing everything you say yes to means you have to say no to like one other or five other great ideas in order to really execute that successfully. That's like literally the definition of strategy. And I think this is something where very early on, it's easy to change your strategy. You're 10 people. You're all in one room. You can say, what are we going to work on this week? What's the most important thing? Let's all shift focus. When you're a company right now, I think we're about 200 people. You actually want to say, what are we going to work on next year? I'm working on that right now. It's June. I'm spending a lot of my time in 2024. What's the team we need for that? What are we not going to do? Like, let's actually have these conversations so we can give the best direction to the company. It's harder to shift that focus. We would be a pretty dysfunctional company if we were saying, like, 200 people, what are we all going to work on this week? I love that point that you just made about saying no to so many really great ideas. And if you look at the history of your company, you can see you have said no to a lot of things. But eventually... Last year, you did make the decision to acquire another brand. This was the brand Expectful. Why did you decide to take on that specific brand? It goes back to exactly the thing we were just talking about. What is strategy? And last year, a key part of our strategy was health and wellness. Babylist is this fantastic baby registry. The thing we know that our users are going through pregnancy, through mental health, both prenatal and postpartum is primarily health and wellness, much more than like the stuff you need. And so it was a pregnancy media brand really focused on mindfulness and meditation. And we just felt like it was the right brand for us to really invest in this health wellness offering. Baby List, your mother-in-law is going to go to Baby List. And we're going to help you get your stroller, and you're going to make all these product decisions, but Expectful is going to talk to you about your mental health and changes in your body, changes in your family. So they're going to have permission to do different things. You're giving a lot of credit to potentially my parents and in-laws and their ability to navigate these things, but I appreciate that, and so would they. Uh, my guest today, Natalie Gordon, founder and CEO of Baby List, meeting customers where they are. Uh, you hear that a lot in marketing. It's almost cliche, right? But but you're really taking that to heart. And we talked about this a little bit earlier in the interview. You have plans for an 18,000 square foot retail space in Beverly Hills. You talked a little bit about it. You want to make kind of this creator space. How do you decide if you're an online brand and you want to create a retail space? Because this is something a lot of brands are thinking about. How do you decide what should go in there and where it should be? Well, first of all, this was a not yet for 12 years. And I was even afraid of the pop-ups. This stuff is expensive. It takes a long time. It involves leases and employees. And so we did not make the decision lightly. I think for me, and really feeling confident about this, the experience with the pop-ups was hugely helpful. We did two pop-ups, one in LA, one in New York that truly informed now this like multi-million dollar investment we're currently making in this permanent space. For me, it was, oh, they nailed the registry building experience. This is delightful to like actually choose products and do this action of adding them to my list, which is 
really what we want this space to be primarily for. Second was we were able to co-fund it with uh, vendors. They really want people to be able to touch and feel their products. How could we do that in an authentic way that was experiential for users, kind of worked for both sides there? It's actually in a really meaningful way. It was this physical representation of this online-only brand that I have like loved and grown for a decade, and they just nailed it. It was our brand. It was fun and celebratory and accessible and feminine. Like, I think I'd always been worried about that brand translation. And so it really gave me confidence that we actually had the right team and vision to make this investment. So maybe my advice there is like, we did dip our toe. And before making this really big investment... So tread carefully, right? Yeah. Dip your toe in before you dive in, right? Yeah. And we're diving in with a single space. And it's going to be a flagship. It's going to be a true flagship. Right now, there are real changes in the market and with physical retail in the baby category. And we're like, what's the scalable play here? What would it look like if there were 20 baby list showrooms or stores? What would it look like if there were 50? That's like maybe going back to what we we're talking about strategically, like we should have clarity in that decision. And right now we know that the flagship we're fully committed to. Well, founder-driven businesses and companies and brands, that's at the heart of what we do at Shopify. Natalie Gordon, CEO and founder of Babylist is exemplary of that fact. Natalie, thank you so much for doing this. It was fantastic to talk to you, Benjamin. And thank you for listening. This show would not be possible without our production team. Megan Coyle and Gogo Zoger are our producers. Our engineers are Miku Betlam and Matt Schwartz. Schwang Esther Shan is our host. And I'm Benjamin Gottlieb. Come hang out with us next time right here on Shopify Masters. Shopify Masters.